You're listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast, a recording of the Sunday sermons from Christ Church Toronto. Christ Church Toronto is a new church in Toronto's East End that seeks to practice the ancient Christian faith today. We would love for you to join us in the future, but until then, please turn your attention to the scripture reading. The scripture reading is from Matthew 1, verses 18 to 25. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the word of the Lord for our church, and it is given for our good. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Dave. Would you bow your heads and join me in prayer before we spend some time reflecting on this passage? Let's pray. Our Father, the one who sent your Son to dwell in the womb of Mary, we ask now that you would send your Spirit afresh upon this, your church, and that from these words of Matthew, new life would be birthed into us, where pains and sufferings of this world have robbed us, you would grant to us tremendous joy, where difficulties and failures on our own parts have put us in a place where we struggle to hear. You would give us words of forgiveness and assurance. And to a people anxious, you'd give us words of peace. Father, speak through this, your word, and make your presence known to us through your spirit, as you have promised, we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Well, as we lead up to Christmas uh, Day celebration, I've noticed something in my neighborhood. I've taken something of an unofficial uh, survey as I walk home from work and walk around my neighborhood. And as of now, according to my Google Sheets, there are more neighbors in my neighborhood that put out Halloween decorations than Christmas decorations. And I don't know, uh, the spreadsheet is only a couple of years old, but I do feel it's very unscientific and I live in a very unique part of the city, I get that. But I do feel like something has happened. Uh, It seems as though the city's uh, Christmas spirit has been changed and transformed, at least over the 12 some odd years I've lived here in Toronto. There seems to be fewer lights on windows, fewer lights through trees, fewer wreaths on doors, fewer decorations in general, and certainly there seems to be fewer manger scenes put out on people's lawn or inside people's windows. You know, in years past, I think, Pastors like me stood up in pulpits and said to the Christian community, don't let consumerism hijack 
Christmas of what it's all about. Don't let consumerism hijack uh, the day in which we come together to celebrate the birth of Jesus. You know, you'd hear this phrase over and over again, don't forget that Jesus is the reason for the season. And as I've wandered around our city this week, and even as I drove around and just looked around, I wonder if now we're entering in a new age of what it means to be a Christian here in Toronto, where pastors might need to stand in front of their congregation and remind people there are some things worth celebrating. Maybe you need to put out more lights, more gifts. Maybe you need to be more festive, more engaging with your neighbors. Now listen, there's no command to celebrate Christmas in the Bible, and if you wanted to uh, remember the birth of Jesus Christ every day of your life, that is totally acceptable by me. You're a pastor. However, this is a remnant from history uh, of one day of the year where we especially and specifically focus on and remember that miraculous conception which resulted in the birth of a connection which has transformed the world as we know it and our experience of the world. And whether you celebrate this on December 25th or you make an attempt to celebrate this every, every day of your life, my hunch is we all need to be reminded that this is something worth regularly engaging with, regularly celebrating, something worth going all out for. Maybe you don't want to put the 40-foot sand out, which is the only new trend I've noticed in the city, these tacky Santas that like cover the second story of people's houses. Um, but maybe you do want to think about what does it mean to properly celebrate Christmas in such a way that you show that you believe what happened on that Christmas morning transforms and, and, and undoes what you previously understood it meaning to be human. Something happened in Christmas morning that makes us a different people, and it should sink down into our bones. It should give us a kind of residing joy and passion that goes deep into our bones. And here's what I want to look at this morning. I just want to look at this, that Christmas is something still worth celebrating because we're reminded, first, that God is with us, second, that God is for us, and third, that God will indeed work through us. God is with us, God is for us, and God will work through us. So first, the proper way to celebrate and remember Christmas is to remember that God is with us. Well, where do we see this in this passage? You've, you've probably heard this story read before, even if you have no church background. And we get this heading, this sort of Genesis, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Now, uh, if you're, at least in our church, it seems like when someone says, uh, the birth of my child took place this way, we're going to hear all about whether or not they used a natural uh, birthing technique, whether they got the epidural whether they had uh, a doula, whether they had, you know, the midwives there, you're expecting some kind of birthing story. And instead, Matthew actually kicks the birthing story back to the betrothal. You see, at this time, marriage took place in something of a two-step situation. You had phase one was something like a contractual obligation to engage in marriage. Vows were taken before witnesses, and the man would say to the woman, I intend to take you as my wife. He would spend something like a year preparing a house and preparing his life uh, financially to make sure that he is able to take this woman as his wife and that then there would be a huge celebration which would sort of culminate in uh, the consummation of the marriage in this second phase. And what we read here is that there is a problem in the marriage of Matthew, I mean, I'm sorry, the marriage of Joseph to uh, Mary as Matthew records it. We find that in this first phase, after Joseph had made this commitment to take Mary as his wife, before they had consummated the marriage, before the marriage had reached the second phase, Mary is found to be with child. Now, Matthew knows, but Joseph doesn't, that the child is from the Holy Spirit. That's how Matthew records it. And Joseph's problem is not that 
he doesn't know where babies come from. His problem is he knows exactly where babies come from. And Mary is with child. They're not yet married. Something is off. Now, we don't know a lot, and we have to fill in the details, but Joseph is being presented by Matthew as a righteous man. And though the Old Testament punishment could result in something as high as stoning for a woman caught in uh, infidelity before her wedding, in this particular time period, the Roman rule would not allow the Jewish people to, to exercise that kind of punishment. So what would take place would be a very public trial resulting in much public shame. And it seems as though Joseph, Mary swears nothing happened. She didn't interact with any other men. And in fact, tells the story about all that has happened to her. And Joseph, being a dignified and godly man, resolves to divorce her quietly. Now, I have to believe Joseph is confused, but he at least knows Mary is somewhat trustworthy. And whatever's going on with Mary, he is not the type of man who ought to be involved in it. If, the, if she is pregnant with a child from the Lord, well, Joseph says, maybe I ought not to be around. And if she's not pregnant with a child from the Lord, well, then she needs... To she needs to, the, the marriage needs to not move forward. And yet an angel comes to Joseph, and how does he dress Joseph? Joseph, this carpenter in Bethlehem, middle of nowhere. He refers to him as a son of David. And he tells Joseph, indeed, what is going on inside of Mary is from the Holy Spirit. This is a virgin conception that has taken place. The Holy Spirit has put this child inside of Mary. And our modern mind wants to know, how does this happen? Was there seed and egg? What are the details here? How did this work out? Is this some kind of uh, Greco-Roman way of telling the story, the gods impregnating humans? There are some stories like that in the Greco-Roman world, but yet those stories also all, always involve some measure of intercourse, and there's none of that here. Mary is found to be with child. This is utterly unique. And though you want to know the scientific details, though I want to know the scientific details, I want to see the PowerPoint presentation about exactly how this whole thing worked out, Matthew doesn't care about those things to the same degree that we do. Because what does he care about? Look at verse 22. He says, All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now again, we're looking at a series on uh, the book of Matthew. So I'm, I'm trying to be mindful of the fact that we're in the Advent season. But in Matthew's mind, this is critical. Some ten times he's going to say this event took place to fulfill what the prophets had previously wrote, written about. This is the sort of formula that he's going to recite over and over again. And in Matthew's mind, the virgin with child authenticates that God was indeed up to something, because this is something he had promised long ago. The scriptures authenticate the truthfulness of Mary's claim just as much as the angel revealing to Joseph that this child is from the Holy Spirit. Matthew picks up this promise of old in the book of Isaiah, in Isaiah chapter 7. King Ahaz, not a great king, He's ruling around 735 B.C. There's been a civil war, and he's ruling over the southern kingdom. And their kingdom is facing imminent destruction from the Assyrians. And the northern kingdom has decided to make one of the most unholy alliances with, modern, with the Syrian nation. So the northern kingdom and the Syrian nation have made an alliance to protect themselves from the Assyrians. And King Ahaz hears of this alliance, and then he's told to join this alliance. And Ahaz does not want to join this alliance, so now the northern kingdom and Syria are coming down to, bring, uh, to wage war against the southern kingdom so they can establish their sort of puppet king 
to make sure that this, this uh, allegiance of Syria, the northern kingdom, and the southern kingdom would be strong enough to squash the Assyrian invasion. And Ahaz knows his days are doomed and numbered, whether it be from the Assyrians or from this unholy alliance between his relatives in the northern kingdom and the Syrians. And yet the prophet Isaiah walks into his life, into his chambers during this time of great distress, and he says, listen, ask of the Lord a sign. Ahaz presents to be a holy man despite the fact that he will sacrifice to idols. And he says, I don't need a sign from the Lord. And Isaiah says, fine, don't ask for a sign, but the Lord's going to give you a sign. Listen, Ahaz, you're so worried about being dethroned in such a short period of time. I will give you a sign. A virgin, a young woman will conceive and bear a child. And his name will be God with us. Emmanuel, God with us. God is now with his people. You need not fear. The child is born. Ahaz doesn't need to fear. The northern kingdom gets destroyed by Assyria, 722 BC. The southern kingdom survives this trial, this imminent doom. This child is God with us, a sign for Ahaz, someone in his home who will eventually take over the reign. Now, why does this matter? Why does any of this matter? Because Matthew wants us to know that God indeed was with his people again. He was moving towards his people again. God was coming, though, not to pass judgment on his people. He was coming not to destroy his people, but he was coming to be present with them again. And Matthew wants you to understand that the virgin conception and the virgin birth passes the most incredible judgment on any human effort to evoke God's presence towards us. It's an absolute affront to most of the ways in which religion works. We cut ourselves, we do whatever we can, somehow hoping that God would come down, condescend, bring his blessing to us. And Matthew's saying, it couldn't be further from the truth. In fact, I will work through a virgin conception, through a virgin birth. There's no technology, there's no political or educational means that you can find which will result in forcing my presence to come down to earth. I am going to move down in grace. I will be with you. In the same way Isaiah's prophecy said, you will be fine because I am with you, so also the birth of the Son is to be for you a sign. You are fine. God is with us. C.S. Lewis in Mere Christianity, in the second chapter, he writes this, enemy-occupied territory. That's exactly what the world is. Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed. You might say landed in disguise and is calling us to take part in this great campaign of sabotage. A weary world, a world in rebellion to God. Miraculously, the virgin conceives with a child, and this to us is a sign that God is with us, and that he's going to bring his blessing, his goodness, into the world in ways unseen to us. A king is coming, he's invading, he's pursuing, and there is nothing we could do to grab his attention, to force his hand. The core of Christianity is this, that God is with us. The God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who does not have human form, took on human form, sent his son to be a real and true human like us. And this would have been unthinkable to the Jewish mind of the first century. It's still unthinkable to the Jewish mind today. If you talk to any Muslim about the incarnation, they'll call this shirk to say that Allah has a partner or has any sort of physical form. This is wrong. 
And yet this is the central and core claim of Christianity and one we must celebrate. God came to be with us. St. Augustine, the great Christian thinker in his fourth century Christmas sermon said this, He loved us, he so loved us that for our sake he was made man in time through whom all time was made. He was made man who made man, was created of a mother whom he created, was carried by the hands which he formed, nursed at the breasts which he had filled, cried in the manger in wordless infancy, he the word without whom all human eloquence is mute. This is why we celebrate, this is the central claim of Christianity, that God has come near, he is with us on his own initiative, has drawn near and come to be a part of us, one with us. But this isn't good news unless God is also for us. And we see this in the name that Joseph is to give the child in Mary's womb, his adopted son. Joseph is told to call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from his sins. You see this in verse 11. Now, you might miss this. There's some sort of play on words here. Uh, Jesus is a Hellenized form of the, of the name uh, Joshua. And in a sense, it's made up of, of sort of this compounding Hebrew word saying Yahweh is salvation. Yahweh, the God who revealed himself to Moses, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he is salvation. Now, interesting, Matthew says you should call his name Jesus. Yahweh is salvation, for he will save his people from his sins. But what is it? Is Yahweh going to save his people from his sins? Or is this one, this Jesus, going to save his people from his sins? Exactly. That's exactly what Matthew wants you to see. God is breaking in within history. He's not just with us, but he is absolutely for us. He is coming as the Emmanuel. And Christmas is worth singing about and celebrating about and maybe even spending some of your budgeted money on. Because the God who dwells in unapproachable light has come to be, come and approached us. And he's come to us in grace. He's come not to be with us to cleanse his world and rid us so he could start over again, start afresh. He's come to be with us and for us that our sins might be forgiven. That collection of behaviors, habits, and actions which were treasonous against the kingdom that he's established and put us within. He's come to find a way that those actions that enslave us will come to some kind of resolution. They'll find forgiveness and hope and rescue. God's people had made a mess of this world, and he's coming to sort it out. He's going to sort it out first and foremost by finding a way in which our sins, the problem under the problem, can be forgiven. God with us, God for us. I don't know if anyone knows the name of the author, Anne Lamont. She's a little rough around the edges, to say politely. So I've slightly edited this uh, extended quote from her, but she shares her testimony, uh, and as she, t as she talks about the ways in which she came to know Christ, it was for her an experience of God with her and God for her, God relentlessly pursuing her. Listen to this. She says this, I did not mean to be a Christian. I've been very clear about this from day one. My first words upon encountering the presence of Jesus for the first time 12 years ago were, I swear to God I would rather die. I really would rather die at that point than to have my wonderful, brilliant, left-wing, non-believer friends know that I had begun a relationship with Jesus. I think it would have been less appalling if I had developed a close personal relationship with Storm Thurman. This is a far right-wing American politician from the South. At least there's some reason to believe that Storm Thurman is a real person, you know, more or less. But I never felt like I had much of a choice with Jesus. He was relentless. I never experienced him so much as the hound of heaven, as the old description has it, but as the alley cat of heaven, 
who seemed to believe that if he just kept showing up at the door, meowing outside the door, that eventually I'd open up and give him a bowl of milk. And of course, as soon as you do, you are in trouble. Edited. The next thing you know, he's sleeping on your bed every night, stepping on your chest at dawn and playing a little push-push. I don't know what that means. I'm not a cat person, but I assume it means the cat's waking people up. I resisted as long as I could. Like Sam I am and the green eggs and ham, I would not, could not in a boat. I would not, could not with a goat. I would not follow Jesus. I just want expensive cheeses or something. Anyway, he wore me out. He won. I was tired and vulnerable. He won. I let him in. This is what I said at the moment of my conversion. I said, forget it. Come in, I quit. He started sleeping in my bed that night. It wasn't so bad. It was even pretty nice. He loved me. He didn't shed or need to have his claws trimmed or need a flea dip. I mean, what a savior, right? Then, when I was dozing, tiny kitten that I was, he picked me up like a mother cat by the scruff of my neck and deposited me in a little church across from a flea market. And that's where I was when I came to, and then I came to believe. I found the story beautiful. What is she saying? God with us and God for us. God is pursuing. He's bringing salvation. He's coming to such great depths to bring salvation to humanity through the virgin's womb. And he continues to this day to continue to show that he is for us and moving towards us by making himself known to all kinds of people. Maybe people here right now for the first time are going to experience something of the alley cat of heaven. Not a beautiful picture, but nonetheless, the relentless pursuit of God gently pressing forward, coming to bring salvation from heaven in human form. Maybe that's why you're here and you don't even know it. God is graciously working. And as the story of Jesus will play out, we'll find that his grace becomes even more manifest, not just that he was willing to become a human, not just that what it means to be human is now united to our God in a strange and unique way, but he's even willing to give his life in this what seems like grand tragic ending, this martyr's death, this death on a cross, which becomes for us a means of salvation where justice is satisfied. Listen, you've heard me say it before, and I'll say it till the day I die. This is what makes every other religion so much different than Christianity. You've heard pastors say this all the time. They're not lying. There's nothing that you have to do to work your way up to God. No set of rules that if you just attain them, then you will receive salvation. Then you can say, Yahweh is my salvation. If you just finish these 90 days or these 50 steps, it doesn't work like that. The Christian religion turns these whole thing on its head and said, God comes to be near to us. He's come to bring forgiveness for our sins. He is for us, and there's nothing you can do about it. There was nothing you can do to earn it, and there's nothing you can do to get him off your case. He's going to pursue you like the hound of heaven or the alley cat of heaven. He's not going to knock it off because he's come to bring salvation, to bring his presence in your life, that you can figure out what it truly means to be human, to finally feel what it, feel, what it feels like to go with the grain rather than against the grain. To not see life's plans so frustrated, but to find yourself walking in step with your Creator, even in suffering, finding joy, because you know you belong to Him. Ultimately, He's coming to bring salvation from the problem under the problem. This problem of our heart's deep, dark disdain and rebellion towards the truth and towards obedience to God. He's come to bring a way in which this could be atoned for, and He's come to make His presence known through the Spirit that we might know this salvation forever. God is with us. God is for us. Let me briefly end by reflecting on the ways in which Christmas is also about how God works through us. 
Because though the Gospel of Luke focuses on Mary's response to the birth, and it's worth your time to read again the Gospel of Luke as we head towards Christmas, the Gospel of Matthew wants us to look at Joseph's response. And what, how does Joseph respond? Well, look at the passage. He does exactly what the angels command. He takes Mary, and he calls the baby's name Jesus. And they don't consummate the marriage at least in the passage doesn't say they don't cons- the passage says they don't consummate the marriage at least until the baby is born so the question here is this joseph then uh, gets asked regularly why did you name him jesus he has to say over and over again it's not a family name it's not some name i found in the bible it's not after the great joshua i named him jesus because an angel of the lord told me that he is going to save me and you and all of us from our sins see here's what's incredible and something we're thinking about as we wrap up. God doesn't bypass human efforts and interactions in the ways in which he weaves salvation into his story. He still chooses this young virgin Mary who has to put her hands on her hips and waddle like any other pregnant woman would at times, who had to burp Jesus and clean up after him. He chooses an ordinary man named Joseph living in the middle of nowhere, working a carpenter's job. And you see these small acts of human obedience become the means by which the humans, this story of salvation, which becomes all of our hope, the story we will sing about and celebrate, not just next Sunday, but we'll sing about until the day we die, and then in the heavens we will sing forever and ever and ever. He uses the ordinary obedience of ordinary women and men to expand the story of him bringing this salvation into the world. This is our God. God is with us, God is for us, but he even works through us. So maybe this Christmas, maybe as you think about how you might celebrate, how you might interact with your family, with your neighbors, with your coworkers, maybe just maybe this Christmas believe that this is a time to celebrate not just God with us, not just God for us, but maybe to believe that in the ways in which you show love, and joy, and care, and concern, and mercy, that these might be the means in which your fellow human beings, your sisters and brothers, might experience the salvation of God through your ordinary acts of obedience. This Christmas, celebrate. Don't forget, God is with us. God is for us. And he has, and he will continue to even work through us. This is our hope. Let me pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for this story, and our modern minds would much prefer to hear the um, medical understanding of how the virgin conception took place, and I trust one day in the new heavens and the new earth you can sit us down and explain to us these sorts of things. It seems to us a great and profound mystery. But maybe more important than that, and the thing our mind doesn't want to think about is, do we really need this great of a salvation? Are our behaviors this horrendous that there's no way to dig ourselves out of the hole? Is the debt that piled up? Oh, Father, open our eyes not just to see how bad of a situation we've got ourselves in, how hopeless we are in, but open our eyes to see your, for, your steps of grace towards us. And, Father, help us see there's just nothing we can do. This salvation is going to come to us, and it's going to come from the outside, and it's not going to become, come from any means of our efforts. And help us to receive this salvation afresh this Christmas. And help us to know that maybe, just maybe, you might use us to be a means of extending and spreading this good news 
of Jesus who will save us from our sins to all the people we interact with. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Christ Church Toronto podcast. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ChristChurchToronto.ca or email us at info at ChristChurchToronto.ca.